Welcome to the Bar Variations Podcast. Go behind the bar with me, your host, Michelle Duvall. As I interview leaders in the industry, we'll talk about how bar impacts their lives, what's inspiring them today, and take the conversations that usually stay in the studio out into the community. Grab a seat because there's plenty of room at the bar. If you're a certified hashtag bar addict like I am, then you can definitely appreciate a bar-inspired graphic tank top or sweatshirt. Good news. For those of us who can't get enough, Bar Goods Co. will add an extra bit of fun to your workout with apparel designed for and inspired by the bar. And if you need that extra little bit of motivation to get yourself to class, then you'll be happy to know that they use only the softest fabrics available to help you express your love of bar to the world. Check out their go-to line of screen-printed goodies included workout tops, sweatshirts, and even infant onesies for bar addicts in training. And guess what? Listeners of the Bar Variations podcast can use the code VARIATIONS25 to take 25% off their first order. That's code VARIATIONS25 in all lowercase letters. Visit bargoods.com now to start shopping. Thinking about becoming a bar instructor? Or maybe you already are, but are interested in learning new teaching techniques. Bar Where You Are combines ballet form and grace with Pilates principles and functional fitness training to create a -a one-of-a-kind bar experience. Their unique class format and flow allows clients to get a fun and effective total body workout in every class. Their one-day, eight-hour course covers anatomy, musicality, transitions, how to provide modifications and corrections, and a breakdown of more than 100 different exercises, allowing all bar instructors to leave with a solid understanding of how to create and deliver a safe and effective class to all fitness levels. And because they are internationally accredited and require no licensing fees, our bar babes can teach anywhere they wish and truly make the class their own. You can find out more information on registering or hosting a training at your gym or studio by visiting www.barwhereyouaresc.com backslash become an instructor. And let's bar where you are. Welcome to episode 15 of the Bar Variations podcast. This month is quite possibly my baby's birth month, unless he is fashionably late, in which case he didn't get that from me because on time is late in my world. But whenever this little guy comes, will be the right time for him, and I truly cannot wait to be there witnessing the paths he chooses to take in life. And meanwhile, I am patiently and impatiently (laughs) awaiting his arrival. But there are also a few other exciting things that have happened since the last podcast, like the launch of two new websites, technically two, but really all stemming from the one. The Bar Variations website has been given an overhaul, not only to make your experience smoother on the website, but to create a better platform for more resources. And a big change that has come from those resources is the Bar Variations Teacher Training online course, which will be hosted on a new platform, which is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It will track your progress. It's fully automated. And moving forward, all of my online courses will be like this, making it easier for you to revisit, retake, and reference all of the material at your own convenience. Guys, I can't wait for this one. This is a big undertaking. I've had help doing it, but... um, I'm so happy I found this platform. It's going to be awesome. 
And also the Bar Variations Video Library is on a new website as well. It's been redone, but also the big thing that I've announced this month is the guest teachers on the platform. It is my goal to bring diversity and variety of bar right to your home. It goes along with my mission that there's plenty of room at the bar for all methods, styles, techniques, and voices. And if you're not already a member, you receive a seven-day free trial when you sign up. I can't tell you how stoked I am to include others, not only my method, not only me teaching, but being able to make our bar world a little bit smaller, a bit more connected, and at the convenience of wherever you are. So please check it out. Let me know how you like it. Cannot wait to hear from you guys. And as for some upcoming events, here's what I've got on the docket post baby. It won't be the only things I'm doing this year, but the only things solidified for after baby's arrival. And that's number one, the group coaching workshop in May. The deadline to register is April 30th. This is a two-hour live stream coaching workshop where we will break down how you want to make an impact with your teaching, gain the tools to get started, and feel more burn behind your passion and less burnout. So not only does this have to do with your bar teaching, but maybe your bar business as well. So if you have a goal, a project, or an idea that you just don't know where to begin, and you need tools, and you need accountability, this is the workshop to get you going. So check it out, and I hope you to see you there. So when this uh, podcast airs, you have about a month and a half to register. The actual date in May will be determined by the group. So everybody can attend. You don't have to worry about scheduling or taking time off. It will be done so everybody can be there. The next event after that, July 18th, I'll be teaching the Teaching Deconstructed Workshop for bar teachers in sunny San Diego. And the following day, uh, Bar Variations Video Library guest teacher and former podcast guest Shannon Warner will be teaching a workshop called Proper Feedback, a functional and anatomical approach to using props in your bar choreography. If you join for both, you also get a discount. So not only is this how to add props into your class, it's the anatomical approach of the why behind using these in your bar choreography. Two full days to enhance your teaching skills. I hope to see you there. It's most likely the only time I'm going to be out on the West Coast this year. So jump, jump on it. And on October 17th and 18th, we will be hosting the same workshop weekend lineup, not in San Diego, but in Brooklyn, New York. So if that interests you and you're on the East Coast, we'll be doing the same thing October 17th and 18th. You can come to one day, you can come to both days, but just know that this is an action-packed weekend for your skill building as a teacher. Um, you can find all these events and all online courses at www dot barvariations.com. All right, so topic of the month, right? So the title of this episode is considerations. And it's a word that keeps popping up for me lately. 
And I'm talking about taking consideration of a thing that is presented to me, considering the options I have or could create, and considering a different viewpoint than my first initial reaction to something or someone. So for me lately, on self-reflection, consideration is the word that keeps jumping to the surface. And when it comes to taking consideration of a thing that is presented to me, I've talked in the past about shiny objects distracting from the main mission. But this has me also thinking about obstacles, not so shiny things that get me distracted or caught up in that can challenge me to rethink the path that I'm on. I know I'm on the right path if I'm solid in my reasoning and purpose behind what I am trying to achieve. Is it hard not to get frustrated, caught up, and distracted by the noise? Of course, right? So when the shiny objects are good, oh, it makes us feel excited and wanted and doing the thing we want to do. But when they're not so shiny and they kind of are a little bit more triggery for us, it can really get us caught up and divert us from the path that we're on that maybe we should stay on. So in the bar world, we have some hot topics that can get us bartenders fired up. And when these things are presented, I'm sure one has popped into your head already. It has you burning up and not not from work it out. <laughs> so I'm not one to stir the pot, but I've been pulling the Bar Variations VIP Facebook group for annoyances and pet peeves. And all with the mission of digging a little deeper of what bothers us, what the pain points are, or why they bother us, and how we can maybe choose different in our viewpoint or consider different things about whatever that annoyance is. So for example, some of the hot topics that really stuck up and were highlighted in the group and as a whole, one would be teaching to music versus not teaching to music, to tuck or not to tuck, and when and why, who did it first in the bar world, franchise license or neither, individual creativity versus preset choreography. Wherever you stand, great. I am not here <laughs> to tell you only my, you know, just my opinion on these things, but these are the topics that came up and the big themes that came up that certainly get people feeling, uh, the fire. So, but if we're ever confronted with these topics, it can do the very thing we don't want to happen. And that's create an exclusive community with little growth or development. Closing pathways for anyone wishing to make a living, create an extra revenue stream, or share their joy through bar. So, what do we do, right? So how I try to handle these situations when I feel set off is allow myself to go down the dark triggery path for a specified amount of time. I will consciously let myself have a day, for example, to sit in that discomfort. I wasn't ever somebody that wanted to sleep on something to allow for a clear head, but it does work. And that definitely put me out of my comfort zone. But I do throw in other tools like talking with confidants for event sesh or I write about it. And what I also like to do is consider why this thing has got me so wound up and triggered. Usually sitting in that discomfort, talking it out or writing it out gives me some clarity. 
And when that moment comes, I'm no longer fired up and I can consider my next moves or thoughts, right? So I'm sure me reading off that list of hot topics, you were already writing a 10-page essay in your head of why or why not you should or shouldn't do one or the other. So that brings me to considering the options I have or can create in a scenario like this. If I'm going down a comparison game dark hole, I can consider whether or not imitating something is really what I want to do. Do I really want to do exactly what this other person is doing? Does it really align with what I want? Am I just scared to play big and getting my own way? Little green-eyed monster there for that one. Can I create or do something different by choice to make it work for me? And this also ties in with the considering of a different viewpoint than my first initial reaction to something or someone. The biggest question is, can I agree to disagree? (laughs) Which is hard, right? If I am still in a place where I am no longer riled up, but I am clear why whatever it is is a no for me, I can set my judgments aside and continue on my path. If the path I choose is a strong one that I believe in, my answer is absolutely. All I can do is continue on my way. I can regain the confidence that I can exist with others and other opportunities that I either don't agree with or are just not for me. I can still find value in their viewpoints, have a conversation, and be in community. Or see the value in what somebody else is doing, even if it's not for you. You don't have to like everything what everybody does, but you can respect what they're doing, and you can also say, hey, I love what they're doing, it's just not for me. So it no longer becomes about taking those hot topics and allow them, allowing them to tear anyone apart, but having the, uh, the ability to consider how they can bring people together in celebrating the diversity in the bar community. Right? Um, hold up a hand if you're with me. If you're not, if you've turned it off and if those hot topics, you're like, no, I can't. I get it. Come back, revisit. And I do want to say, in the spirit of community, here is last month's community question I put out there. And it was, what experience can you share that you think others will benefit from when it comes to bar and or your bar business? And Jennifer Rose in the BV VIP group said, do things your way. Never give someone else the power over your confidence, business, or teaching abilities. Heather Fields shared, first class is always the hardest. Don't give up. And lastly, Jessica Chamberlain said, personality first, participant second. When I first started teaching, I was zeroed in on filling classes instead of delivering my version of quality classes. Once I chilled out and found my groove, my numbers started to increase. So being yourself, right? We hear that all the time. Sticking to your path, your mission will help you get in your groove. And when you're confronted with these not so shiny objects coming your way, like these hot topics or like a teaching opportunity that may not be for you and you have a strong reaction, we can take a moment and consider, well, even if it's not for me, can I consider maybe having a different viewpoint on it, letting go of some self-judgment and some outer judgment and staying on my path and being confident in that 
and being confident that I'm also not feeling judged or self-judging someone else's judgment on myself, right? So we get out of that vicious cycle. So this month, I'd like to ask a more positive question than just pet peeves, but rather, what dreams do you have for bar? And this can be in general, like bar class, bar teacher, whatever. Like, where do you want to see maybe the bar community go? Or more personal, where you'd like to take your bar work? So you can share all these things with me at, on the email or on Anchor and the voice messages. And I do look forward to hearing to what you have to say. At some of these last month's questions, go to the Facebook group. It is so rich with so many uh, experiences shared that I think everyone could find something for them. So I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Share your answer with me via email at info at barvariations.com. Join the Bar Variations VIP group on Facebook to share your answer or leave me a voice message via Anchor, like I said before. I'll share all the links in the show notes and look forward to hearing from you. All right, guys, up next, we got an interview with Kay Strub from The Barcode. I'm excited. It's such a great conversation. I got to meet Kay in real life. You're going to hear all about it and stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Point Studio. They are the best gripping socks for bar, yoga, dance, and basically all studio workouts. These socks are the next best thing to being barefoot. And listeners of the Bar Variations podcast get 15% off their order with the code BARVARIATIONS. That's code BARVARIATIONS, all one word, to receive 15% off your next purchase at pointstudio.com. Hi, listeners. I'm here today with Kay Straub. She is the Director of Training and Operations for the Barcode with multiple fitness certifications and degrees in both theater, performance, and mathematics. Kay engineers the Barcode's best-in-class fitness program to be an efficient, effective, and inspiring experience for everybody. When she's not making you sweat, Kay is working behind the scenes as the team's go-to gal, ensuring all operations foster growth and success for the hashtag bar babes who own and operate their own growing franchise network for the barcode. Hi, Kay. Welcome. Hey, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me today. Um, for the listeners, we had the pleasure of meeting almost a year ago. I can't believe that. I know. I was like, where has this last year gone? I can't believe it. And when I was like typing this up, I'm like, oh, okay, a year. So (laughs) we met at one of the Bar Variations trainings and it was uh, such a pleasure having you. And it was kind of a really like awesome moment for me to that really solidified that I was on the right track of making the work that I do open to everyone, regardless of who or where they trained at. And I was so pleased that the barcode had that same feeling and, um, was on the same page that I was. So thank you for that. And yeah, it was good. It was a good moment. I was like, yes. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) It's so fun. Like you think in like food, uh, boutique fitness. There's so many different angles and concepts and people trying to make it work. And isn't it kind of weird that like exclusivity is still such like a huge part Mm -hmm. of the industry that we're in. So finding you and your method and honestly, just your vibe of 
there's room for all of us at the bar. It, it goes right in line with the barcode, who we are, what our mission is. And truly like it's our tagline, you know, the barcode is for everybody and everybody and to be a part of your training that, you know, echoes that and to feel at home and not judged by like how my method might be a little different than your method, but Hey, it's okay. We're all here to make people feel good about themselves. Like, isn't that what it's all about? So. Absolutely. And like, and it's kind of a thing for you and I, it's like, well, yeah, duh, that's what it's all about. And it's <laughs> still so surprising. And I'm with you. It just, this is why I do this podcast. It's just like another way to connect people. And most of the time we are on our own, right? We're in that studio by ourselves as teachers, or if we are a participant and we're taking classes, it is one of the very few last modalities that people are afraid to go into yeah. a different quote unquote branded class because they feel like they're not going to know. And that kind of echoes like, you know, I just kind of thought of this, but like when I took ballet classes, I'm saying when, cause it's been a long time, but I used to go take this class that it was a set warm up and pretty much a set class until the very end. And you had people from like New York city ballet, ABT. And that's not to say I was like them. I was like the little shorty in the back, like, <laughs> dear Lord, don't look at me. Um, <laughs> and, and if you didn't know, like it was intimidating it really intimidating. And seeing that trickle over to fitness where it's supposed to be fun and just, and teaching Pilates and yoga, I would never bat an eye going to a new Pilates or yoga place. And Pilates has definitely come a long way for Mm -hmm. sure. There's still some of that snobbery that happens, but um, yeah, it's like, hopefully 2020 is a year of crushing that myth of like, it's okay. If it's a different format, it's okay. If it's, a different style or whatever, that it's still fun and we're here to move, right? <laughs> and I think it like, I think you hit the nail on the head when you use the word intimidating. And, you know, we're humans, we're social creatures. We go to a group fitness class, whether it's, you know, your ballet class or a group step class at your mm-hmm. local gym, like whatever the group setting is, walking into any group setting that you're unfamiliar with is already intimidating in nature. And then on top of that, in the fitness space, you're adding this like pressure of aesthetic. Like Mm. you're walking in, most people who go to start moving their body or just start going to group fitness, they're looking to like strip away a part of themselves. They're looking to lose calories or shred this or, um, you know, like take... They're, they're, they're looking for an opportunity to take up less space. So they go to a group fitness class. And on top of that, you're looking like with all the different brands of apparel and gear and all of these things that are kind of like equate to our status in this group setting. It just becomes like the animal kingdom all over again. Mm. And unless you like walk in with the confidence or just the assuredness that you're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Like it can be a really intimidating and fearful thing to the point that like, I understand. And I think I'm thinking about this a lot right now because it's the new year, Mm. but you can really understand why some people stay home or go to one and choose that it's not for them because it, it truly can be a fearful 
environment. So as being the people on the other side of that, looking like understanding that and being able to see like, this place is inherently intimidating. And no matter how fun or cool or exciting and chill and whatever other words you want to use to describe the space that you create, I know that that's true because I live in the space by myself all the time. Clients <laughs> who I know come and experience it. But every new person who steps foot in here is walking in with the experience of every other group fitness class they've ever taken that's intimidating. So what am I going to do to help like strip away those misconceptions as soon as possible to help understand that like, if I can be in this room teaching this class, you can be in here taking it. Mm. What you said, yes. Ding, 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 ding. I'm just going to like ring a bell every time. (laughs) Yes to all of that. And you know, it's funny that you brought up that, um, I didn't intentionally, well, maybe in the beginning intentionally just chose not to do because you touch upon apparel, right? Like boutique fitness has become a place where not only are the instructors instructors, they're now deemed as these influencers and you have these clothing brands that are also kind of intimidating, like hello, crop top, high-waisted, pinchy <laughs> material. Like already yeah. leggings was a big leap for the fitness world, I would say less than 10 years ago. I've got some photos with bell-bottom pants. Yes. I mean, boom, <laughs> cut. Yeah. Got Lululemon, that was 10 years ago. I mean, so tight, tight, crappy, toppy, whatever is pretty new still. And then when that's being pumped out of like, here's this advice. Like it's very, it is very intimidating. And I remember when I was starting doing the video library and I was like, you know, I had some partnerships and I would get some clothes sent to me, but I was also like, I, as a person wear the same five things. In real life. <laughs> like I'm not going to wear, like I live in an apartment in New York city. My drawers are not big enough to have a full dedicated dresser to just my leggings. And it just didn't feel real to me. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't think I'm an influencer in some aspect, right? Hello mm-hmm. podcast. But yeah. like, I, it's just, it was it, part of my image myself. It's like, you don't need to have a new outfit every single time you're seen on a camera or a video or in your classes. And there, you know, there is a certain aspect of like getting dressed for work and I can look put together and nice, but I don't need to then bring that vibe of, I don't wear crop tops when I teach my classes because of the clientele I teach. Mm -hmm. Now that's different if I'm teaching in a bigger arena and we're the same age and we have the same like bar vibe, but my everyday peeps, we're cool. I don't need yeah. to be crop topping it for them all the time. So it, it's so interesting how even just what you wear, uh-huh. not just the language that you use, um, really sets a vibe. And I remember like teaching when I first started teaching Pilates, like again, going back to the boot cut Lululemon leggings, <laughs> pants, I, they weren't even le- pants. Um, the, that scuba jacket was like, Oh my it. gosh, everything. And, oh God. So- I, simple. <laughs> so many colors I had, yeah. but it was like this militant uniform of like, I'm this drill sergeant badass. And that's fine. That is totally a fine personality, but it was like these Pilates robots walking around all in the same attire. And it's like, if you didn't have it, then you weren't like 
a part of this thing. Like Mm -hmm. it just goes right to all of us being like in middle school again, trying to find our people. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's yeah. It can go down to like, what are you wearing? (laughs) I hate putting thought into like appearance. I really do. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be like dry shampoo every day, no makeup, Mm-hmm. sweatpants like that is that is my life but you know when you teach like you are trying to display a sense of I am a professional I am the leader in the room you are an influencer even if it's for the you know five to 30 people in your class like you are going to influence them for the next 45 mm-hmm. to 60 minutes so it is your image it is your work like you have to kind of as you yeah. said like, I don't wear crop tops for my, cause I know my clientele, I do wear crop tops. Yeah. Cause I do know my, my clientele. And I think it's going back to this whole apparel thing. Like where is the room for everybody? Right. I, if people go to my Instagram, like you're quickly going to see like, yes, I have been sponsored by apparel brands. I'm not going to be on here and talk bad about any brands. No. Some, I like, am very proud of what my body can do, but my body takes up space. And if somebody were to look at my body next to another bar, like typical bar instructor's body, they'd be like, wait a minute, you teach bar? Like I am 175 pounds. I'm five, six. I am like the largest sizes at Lululemon. And I, I look at the clothes there. I go shopping. I go to like the end of the clearance rack. And I ask myself as like, I look at who my clients are and they're all shapes, all sizes, every type of body is represented. Mm-hmm. And here I am shopping at a clothes rack that I'm at the end of it. And I'm like, man, where do half of my clients shop? Mm-hmm. And so even like, even today, I'm going to go teach a class in like two hours. And I've got like, I've got this like longer bra on and leggings and like, I'm maybe not the same fitness instructor that would wear a crop top to her classes that you think of when you close your eyes and think of fitness boutique bar instructor. But I think I do wear a crop top to kind of make a point. Like if I can be up here teaching, if I can be up here doing this work, and if I can let my belly hang out over the top of my leggings in, in my core work, you can too. And it's all just about owning it. And Again, like stripping away that intimidation that naturally comes when you walk, you have people walk into your space. Yeah, it's a bit of the unexpected, and it's funny because, you know, I do that opposite. I am, like, I'm a little like I'm what you would expect, right? I'm this little blonde, bubbly, whatever. But it's always been on my mind. Like I refuse to wear pink for the longest time. <laughs> like just because I'm like, I'm not a Barbie. Like that's not who I am. And I don't want to be treated that way. So it's just so interesting. Like, it, and even just like where, yeah, where are your clients going and, you know, being pregnant now, um, I had somebody ask me like, where, you know, like what maternity brands do you shop? And I'm like, honestly, like I'm, again, I wear the same five things. I'm pretty cheap when it comes to certain things. And I bought like, four black pair of leggings that were for maternity. And I was like, and I'm going to tie my shirts up. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Like, but it is all like you'd hit it on the head. It's about owning who you are and what you're comfortable with. And then the people that 
come to your class are going to be attracted to that and feel comfortable around you, whether they choose to be like you or they are like you or they're not like you. It, there just won't be that intimidation. I'll just be like, oh, I can take this class for what it is mm-hmm. and enjoy it or decide, you know, hey, I like so-and-so's class instead, like all of those things. So it's such a, not that we all need to sit there and think for hours where we're shopping and whatnot, but, <laughs> but, it's, but it's so true. It's just like, there's so many little psychological things that go into getting people out of the door mm-hmm. and moving their bodies. And um, yeah, that's a topic I can talk about all day, but for yeah. you, yourself, like, when did you get start with like movement, like from whether you were like coming out of the womb, moving and grooving, or was it, you know, later in life? Can you kind of take us? Yeah. Um, I will say I was never an athlete ever, ever, ever. But, um, my mom of course put me in dance class when I was three and I took dance class I guess for like 10 years. So at a young age, I was exposed to it, but right. no means was I, it wasn't at all competitive. We were an air, an air force family. So we moved around all the time. So just whenever you think you're getting settled, your whole routine gets like picked up and moved away. So dance class was not necessarily like a way for me to develop any sort of sense of physical coordination or, mm-hmm. uh, I'd be surprised. Your skipping skills probably (laughs) developed at a very early (laughs) dance teacher. I'm going to take some credit for it. It really was an outlet, I think, for my mom to get me involved in like whatever new community I was in. Of course. Um, And also like a way for my mom to meet other moms. So I was in dance class and my parents have like an old video camera recording Mm -hmm. of my very first dance class that they like always bring up every holiday but (laughs) (laughs) it's we're out there we're like in these like tiny little like duck costumes very cute I'm three I love it and the dance is over and you know whenever like the teacher grabs somebody's hand and like walks (laughs) everybody off the stage oh yes I did not leave I stayed on stage blowing kisses and doing leaps and doing spins. Um, and then finally, when the teacher comes back on stage to take my individual hand to get me off the stage, I'm doing like, um, like hopping leaps, holding her hand and like blowing a kiss with my other hand. So oh I know I was never really, I never really associated with being a dancer. Like I have coordination, I have musicality, uh, but I I never would like call myself a dancer. It's like, "Ah, I take dance class. Uh, But what I, I have always associated with being is a performer. Like Mm -hmm. when I was a teeny tot and kids ask you like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be Dorothy from the wizard of Oz being like, I want to play Dorothy's role in a Broadway (laughs) (laughs) of of the wizard of Oz. Um, Love it. And that kind of, that hung true throughout my like childhood development throughout moving around. I was always in band. Um, I was always in drama. Uh, I was a mathlete. Oh, <laughs> so I know. I'm I'm about that now. Like theater <laughs> performance and math. And I'm like, Hmm, yeah, very smart. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> it's a weird combination of like left and right brain. Um, 
but honestly, like, I'm really glad that I'll talk. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, the, the, like just being exposed and now approaching, uh, parenthood myself and, you know, I'm having a boy and I was like, Oh, that's different. I know the track for a girl. I know exactly what I would have done if I had a girl. Would she have liked it? Probably not. But (laughs) I knew what I was going to do. You know, I knew what classes I would sign her up for. And now having a boy, I'm like, not that I can't sign him up for those same things. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different track that I don't know about because, of my own experience. Right. And that's obvious, like I'm not a boy, so I don't know what it's like to do sports up to a certain age. I mean, I was still of the generation where you had to play with the boys. I was in soccer for like two years and like, and where they had to pass to you. It was like a rule. They're like, you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm cartwheeling and turning my parents like, what are you? I just going to try everything. I did basketball. I sucked. I was dragged down the court. It was horrible. Like mm-hmm. softball, you name it. It was ter- terrible to watch. It was, they're like, go back to dance class, please. And <laughs> so it's so interesting to think about like, oh, well, my job is really just to expose them to as much as I can do you find that, you know, my person that will be here will find his own way. And, and for you, like just that exposure to being on a stage, like my younger brother ended up taking theater classes in college and he was always dragged to my performances and he had such an appreciation and for the arts and I love him. And if he listens to this, he's such a meathead he's a sports guy. He came out swinging a bat, kicking a ball, whatever it was like he was doing it and so in college he was like I'm gonna take you know a theater class or whatever who cared he loved it his public speaking skills are incredible and not his daily life speaking skills sorry bro but (laughs) if he's like he does like the best everyone's crying loud like he's one of those like perfect and so that's something as a dancer I had some exposure to theater, musical theater, but again, you're singing your emotions, you're dancing your emotions, you're not actually using your own voice. And that was always hard for me to kind of overcome. And even when, as a teacher, I put on a role, right? But in theater, when you're talking and you're using your own voice and you have to dig into your own experience, like, man, everyone should have some kind of exposure to that because I think better than a public speaking class I think you can really dive into the storytelling and for sales or storytelling as a teacher or relatability to your clients or it really um (laughs) I don't have kids in my like roadmap just yet but oh boy or girl I'm forcing them to take improv classes for yeah. sure <laughs> you know, my husband's a comedian and I was like this guy's gonna be like tap dancing do it like <laughs> I, I like I really kind of secretly hope he is a math like nerd and just like codes and does all the smart things because we're both entrepreneurs and we're like <laughs> wow we have jobs but we yeah <laughs> great but like as a uh, outsider I'm like it's very scary I'm like no no, no. numbers I, numbers yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I get it I know you're already planning your own retirement off of your your child's talents I get it that's what kids are for <laughs> totally take care of me please um, so in college you went for theater and math what was that like those two yeah. worlds so 
I have this like, oh, captain, my captain, very like vivid memory. My senior year of high school, sitting in my like AP lit class where my teacher was also my, uh, the director of the drama club. Mm-hmm. And we were studying, I don't know, some Shakespeare something. I can't even remember. Um, and somehow we got into the topic of like your, your path, like the direction that you're going. And so we got in this like debate, me and my classmates and my teacher And he asked me, he's like, well, what are you going to school for? And at that point, I was very decided I was going for math. Like, I'm going to get my math degree. I'm going to be an engineer. Um, If I can't do that, I'll at least teach math um, and get people excited about math. Like, but I also want to go to a school where it's not so big that if I wanted to participate in drama, whether it was like a theater club or you know it wasn't like a theater program that you had to audition into that I could still participate without having to like commit to it and he kind of just called me out like right in the middle of class and he's like well why are you going to school for math I was like because I'm really good at it which at the time was true and he goes yeah but you're also very good at performing Hmm. and I just kind of like it was like looking at him he just like made me look at myself in the mirror and I was like okay Good point. So (laughs) I very shortly after that added it as my second major Mm. and I did go to like a liberal arts college. So nothing like, um, no, like I don't have a BFA in theater and also a degree in math. Like I went to a college where they encourage you to take a lot of different, a lot of different courses, a ton of gen eds and then smaller course loads whenever it comes to your major and I specifically wanted a college like that where I could do it I went to a small school Augustana in Sioux Falls South Dakota Mm. and um about like a week into being there on campus I went into the admin office and I switched my degrees from math and theater to theater and math Mm. because if you have it listed first then um the school allocates more funds towards that program. Mm. And uh, so I went in and I changed it and it almost became like math was my, my like side hustle. Like Mm. math was my hobby at college. I was completely immersed in the theater program. And again, because it's liberal arts, like, yes, my emphasis was on performing. um, But I also was the, the four person for the scene shop. So I would help build every set. Uh, My junior year, I was the scenic charge. So I would paint uh, absolutely everything. Like I just, I lived there. (laughs) If they let me sleep there, which some nights I did, I don't know if they know that, um, (laughs) I would. And so very quickly after, you know, getting into that groove in college and like the theater, like theater kids are... (laughs) they're a little like incestuous in the sense that like we love each other and what they're your pack, they're your tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, And that became like my new family away from home. It was really great. And so uh, pretty quickly throughout college, I was like, okay, I am going to move to Chicago and I'm going to pursue theater. I wasn't LA. I had no interest in it. Like I was like, I'm not for film. I want to do stage. 
New York seems a little bit too big right now. I was only 20 whenever I graduated college. I was like, I need to go like grow up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go to Chicago. And about like a month before I was moving to Chicago, I was competing in this like uh, scholarship theater competition. It's national. It's like hosted by the Kennedy Center. And I got out, I got like, I didn't make it through the competition. And whenever you get um, eliminated from around, the adjudicator like comes and sits down with you and he gives you notes and he talks to you about your performance and gives you some feedback. And I loved dramatic, nitty gritty. I love crying on stage. I love being like just a little extra. (laughs) And (laughs) he told me that he didn't, that it it was a really strong performance, but he didn't move me on to the next round because I was acting out of type, which means like I had chosen a piece to perform that didn't necessarily like fit my vibe. Um, And at the time, yeah, at the time to be pulled up by like an old white man, I'm 20. I took it to heart because like hundred percent. Yeah. I wanted to be really good at this. And if that meant changing everything I wanted to meet the opinions of some old white guy, I was going to do it. And basically like, I've always been a curvier gal. Um, I am, I'm younger, but I have this like, I don't know, older, older soul. Like I keep joking that like, even though I don't do theater anymore, I can't wait until I'm like late sixties. Cause then I'm going to just like crush it. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I will be in my in my zone. So he recommended he's like you would be great for comedy, which is oh "Oh, you got a great face for radio, kiddo. It's like no, (laughs) like cool, thanks. Um, Because honestly, I was I was going through like a really looking back now, I didn't have the awareness to know, but like I was depressed. I was like a very mentally distraught, depressed kid. And of course, like I was overweight, I was on, you know, my own cocktail of antidepressants. And he said, I see you're a senior. What are you doing after you graduate? I go, I'm actually graduating in a few weeks. I'm graduating a semester early and I'm headed to Chicago with my goal at the time was I wanted to get into the school at Steppenwolf. And he was like, well, Chicago is great for improv. And I was on the improv teams in college and of course I loved it it's fun and he was just like you should really think about that and then I was like okay done it's changed so here I was moving like four weeks later and I went online that night in my hotel room in like Iowa City at this competition and signed myself up for my first improv class I moved to Chicago like February 2nd 2012 Mm -hmm. and I took my first improv class February 3rd and I did that like hardcore Mm. for two, two and a half years. And I was fine at it, but not good enough to like go anywhere with it because looking back, it's because I didn't care about it. Like wasn't your thing. It wasn't my thing. Yeah. It was just like, I'm here because somebody told me that this. There's such a way to go about giving feedback. Oh my gosh. Guidance. I, I hesitate sometimes saying the word advice. Yeah. So then it gets to be like, this is what I think you should do. And it's like, well, that, that's so anecdotal and so 
personal and, you know, being the way, you know, the dancer I was, I was always on that jazz track. Oh, Broadway, 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 Mm -hmm. go for it. And I had a teacher being like, well, why, why do you think you should do the jazz track? Like, cause we, at the time my college had majors, jazz, modern and ballet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, again, I'm good at it. (laughs) And, but maybe I should do the ballet major just because I know I could use more of that training. Mm. She's like, okay, well, there's still classes in ballet every day. I'm like, fair enough. And she's like, why not try something you haven't done before? Like modern. And it, you know, it took me a couple and I was like, huh, again, I never thought about it. She wasn't like, you should do that. Like, sure. but like you, you know, I didn't do competitions, but we had to do these juries at the end of each semester. And I can't tell you how many times I was told, oh, you have a face for commercial. Yeah. You would do great in LA. Yeah. You, da, 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 da. you, you know, you should do industry work. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I liked the emotional stuff. Just like you, I want, like, I needed to work out my angst. I needed, like, <laughs> for me, the stage was a place of like therapy, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I liked That's... weird, excuse my language, shit. Like the performances yeah. that I have been in are not what people would think. I mean, definitely not what people <laughs> would think. And very modern, very postmodern, very on the floor, very risque. And it was, I liked that. I liked the different. I liked being the unexpected. And even as a trainer now, giving, telling people how they should do something, it always like hits me with a block because you can be such an influence on people's life and you can send them down a road of like, you know, who am I to say that somebody is not good enough to get a dance job? I mean, you get to a certain point, especially being a teacher nowadays, these kids, everybody can do it. You know, it's not a matter of at certain level, everyone can do it. Yeah. You know, it's certain vibe, it's certain look, it's certain thing that, you know, the thing you can't put your finger on of why that person is good for that role or part or whatever. Oh man. Yeah. It really <laughs> cringe, cringe. I have been there and I, I hear you. And it's just like, you're, do, and sometimes if you're good at it and you don't like it, it's different than being good at it and liking it. Like you liked math, right? It's like, Oh, this is fun. This is another outlet. But if you're good at it and you're like, yeah, it's fine. It, yeah. it shows, you know? And so what did you do after improv? Did you um, do any comedy work or did you go? No, back? not really. I, I, at the time I was doing improv, I was also just like casually auditioning for sh- for shows around the theater or shows around the city. And I, I made it into a few, but again, like I wasn't ever like fully pursuing it. I think that also was just, it's a difference between me and like, I don't know. I look at my si- my youngest sister, she's 10 years younger than me. And she is a very talented volleyball player. And she would take like, she would go to play club volleyball and like do all of the steps necessary to get really good. She had like a private coach, like to the point that like she was a force to be reckoned with. And if she wanted to play in college, she could. And, you know, mm-hmm. she had those steps cause she really wanted it and she wanted to take it. She had that like competitive edge where she's going to eat, sleep and live volleyball. Whereas mine is just like, mm, I am good at this. I want to do it, but 
I am surrounded now that I'm out of college and in a professional sense, pursuing this thing that I love to do in college with my friends. Mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by people who really want this people mm-hmm. who don't have jobs or people who could have great jobs, but instead work at Starbucks, quit mm-hmm. the second they get a role and pursue that. And that just like, I think the like military dad (laughs) (laughs) and also the like fallback plan of math, like was such a strong part of my upbringing that I didn't, this just wasn't the path for me. So I, I wish more people, I'm going to pause you there just because I wish more people in the arts looked at, I think it's changing. I think the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well nowadays and it's, looked at as a legitimate career to be your like yes. be an entrepreneur yes. where when I first started you know dancing in New York City the fact that I was teaching dance at the time people are like you're teaching it was like I was selling my freaking soul yeah. and then the fact that I went into Pilates first in fitness and started doing bar I had a director tell me well I think right now um your focus is on mm-hmm. bar. And I'm like, no, that's helping me pay for that's the thing that you're not paying me for. Like yeah. I can like both things. I can do both things. Also my time away from auditioning or rehearsing is kind of none of your business of how right. I support myself, unless you're paying me a salary and benefits <laughs> and like, Right. You were definitely not. <laughs> and it's, I, I definitely had a hard time with that. Uh, I never wanted a tour. I didn't want to go um, on the road for a long time. I really liked being home. And most of my friends are not involved in what I do. So I, I like having that duality. And it sounds like that's something for you too. Like just having that groundedness on an, another side. And it should never be looked like looked at as something to look down upon. And I think that's something to relate to even as bar and fitness instructors, the, the almost apology of people. Yes. Oh, I only teach an hour or I only teach a couple times a week. And then they treat it as, well, I, I love it. So I don't care how much I'm being paid for it. Or I love it. I, I would do it for free. And well, in sometimes those trades are great, but sometimes it's okay to have another revenue stream that yeah. also brings you joy that will support whatever it is you want it to support, whether it's your family or you, you know more shopping or <laughs> your you know your membership somewhere else or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The side hustle, the you know other revenue stream, the supplemental income. I mean, I feel like those days are gone. That's where we're at. Like we're of a generation where like we don't know what retirement looks like, right? Yeah. So why not not have other things? And it's okay. You can, yeah, yeah. And there's no need to like apologize for not wanting to do it fully. Like you're not really a performer if you don't suffer. And I think we equate success a lot of times with suffering and a struggle and a hustle, but it does not, I mean, not that you don't need to work hard, (laughs) but you don't need to suffer and, um, sacrifice your whole life to get there, you know? Yes. Yes. Like I'll probably get to it later, but yeah, about 
finding your space as an instructor, like, okay, you teach one class a week, that's fine. Mm. There's this like similar with, you know, part-time side hustle, theater gig, whatever it is. It's like, there's this, it's again, it's intimidating spaces. Like you're intimidated as a client to go in and take a group fitness class. You're intimidated as a fitness instructor surrounded by other fitness instructors in this crazy growing, booming industry with all these brands circulating, all these new concepts popping up. And it's like, the more that we can just like take a step back and look at like, there is truly space for all of us here, whether you're going to, you know, I'm fortunate enough to say like, yes, I work in fitness professionally. I have a full-time paying salary gig in fitness. That's cool. That's awesome. But like, that wasn't always the case. I was teaching five classes a week on the side as I was also working a completely different job in a completely different industry. And that's okay. Even back then I was still a fitness professional. And I think like imposter syndrome Mm. is like something really hard to get over whenever you're finding your way into the space. Well, and I think too, like we're definitely in this trend and it's something, um, you know, I was writing about today that we're in this trend of um, trying to eradicate fear, like get rid of the fear, like crush it, squish it, whatever it is. But our fear and our ego is there for a reason, right? It's there to protect us. And sometimes there are things we shouldn't do. Like don't put your hand on that stove. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a response for a reason. Yeah. Don't walk through that park alone at night. Maybe not the best idea you've had in a while. Maybe you should think about that. You know, so it's, it's there. Certain fears are there to protect us. And it's no different when we're trying something new or walking into a new situation because we don't have any experience to call upon to reassure ourselves. So I think it's so important to be able to recognize the fear and be okay with it being there and being okay with being nervous and uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you know and, and it's sucking like sometimes it sucks like <laughs> yeah and just reassuring yourself of like okay like I don't have to do this forever I don't have to love it I don't have to come back I don't have to do this again the same way or whatever it is mm-hmm. but knowing that you can support yourself on the other end to yeah. decide and discern like is this right for me and was it just myself getting my own way or was it, you know, it just doesn't, eh, just don't like it, you know, yeah. and it can be as simple as that. And I think when we take, when we kind of accept that fear, we not like live in fear, but know that it's not going to go away. It's not going to yeah. disappear. And that like, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Like I, this is full disclosure. I haven't shared this before. Mm-hmm. I do not walk into a party or a restaurant first. I am a little bit of a freak that way. I am a super shy person when it comes to new situations. No one would ever know of me as a teacher or in a workshop. It would. That's not the place where I like feel shy. But I can't tell you how many times I like slip behind my husband or I slip (laughs) behind my friends or we're in a, you know, a party situation, whether it's for work or whatever. And I don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I just sit and I, and I probably look like the rudest, like step up Mm -hmm. person. I can relate to this so much. (laughs) 
it's like, that is so not my comfort zone of like, because then what goes in my head of like, no one cares what you do. You have nothing to offer. You know, you can't talk to these intellect. Like my husband does a lot of work with journalists and I'm like, what the heck am I going to talk about? Like, because, and then, you know, and then I'm like, well, I don't want to be asked like, Oh, how do I lose 10 pounds or so I go through this whole story. So then I'm just quiet. Like I was a kid, like I would sneak up to your house if we were friends as kids and like stand there until someone noticed I was there. Like, <laughs> ring the doorbell, I can just stand yes. there. <laughs> more and more I think about like, okay, like I'm doing all this work to like, you know, move past my fears. And I think that's not even just past, but move through. Yes. Taking those words of like, I have to get through it. There's no getting around it unless no. it's like super dangerous. And I'm like, I'm cool. Not jumping out of that airplane. We're good. I don't need to conquer that fear. But when it comes to social situations, new projects or new whatever, I no longer let it totally block me to the point where I don't do anything, where I don't, you know, whether leave the house or launch something or whatever it is. Know to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Cause we, we hear all these like amazing positive messages, but sometimes it can be a little bit of a myth of like, you're not doing it right unless fear doesn't exist. No, 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 no. It's, it's fear exists and you're choosing to do it anyways. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you had a, let's say, quote unquote, regular human job. I did. Yes. What was that like? <laughs> um, honestly, I loved it. I, um, I was really good at it and I really liked it. And it's funny. Cause like, talking about my professional experience, every like stepping stone along the way, they're all jobs or roles or things that I, looking back at me, the kid who just wanted to be a performer, never in a thousand years would have ever thought they would be my jobs. But I worked for um, the largest science museum, like on this half of the globe, the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. And, um, my job there was to basically help develop new exhibits. Anytime a new exhibit would come in, um, I would research the content of the exhibit and then I would create live programming. So if you think of like a museum, you go to a museum and there's like docents or like old people who like try to talk to you about what's going on. The Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago is a little bit different in the sense that like they hire a lot of improvisers as mm. their docents and they're, they're really like funny and engaging and really excited about the content that they're talking to you about. And it's just overall a really, here's my plug for MSI. If anybody's ever in the South side of Chicago, um, they, they, their mission is to inspire the inventive genius in everybody, especially children. And so they use a lot of like questions and engagement tactics to get people excited about whatever it is they're talking about, whether it's coal mines or the human heart or airplanes or robots or storms, like whatever the topic is, it was my job to create content for these facilitators to provide to our guests to just get them excited about whatever it was. So it was kind of the perfect, mer like people in college were like, what are you ever going to do with these two random degrees? And we're like, I don't know, nothing. Well, it kind of just like fell right into my lap. My first job out of college was a perfect marrying of the two because I got to 
do research and dive into science, like all these different areas of every aspect of science. Um, and then take that content, think through how to make it engaging. And then what I really love doing is I got to teach the staff how to facilitate it. And I got to give them feedback and uh, role play with them and just give them the tools that they needed to be good at their jobs. And that was the part of the job that resonated with me the most was seeing this work that I create come to life through other people and knowing like watching a facilitator do their thing with their own voice. We never wrote scripts, but we just gave them outlines and and ways to facilitate the content that made it fun and engaging and like sitting back and watching some improviser, uh, talk to like a seven-year-old kid about submarines and just seeing that connection be made and knowing that I had like a small part in it mm-hmm. was really rewarding and really fulfilling. Um, what an interesting job. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a museum. We just went to a museum this weekend. I love the docents. I take the tour. Like I sign me up for yes. the museum yes. highlights, whatever it is. I just think you can learn so much. And I think that's what's important is that some, whether it's movement, I mean, some people just don't want to be in class. Like I've had clients where they're like, I don't want to know where my left rib is. I don't care. I don't care where my kidney is located, whatever that is muscle. Like they're like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. So instead we talked about life, Netflix, whatever came up and they still moved. Yeah. Now people can argue they're not getting the same kind of workout, blah, blah, blah. Then my people can argue anything about anything when it comes to fitness. Correct. So it was like the goal was just to move and make it enjoyable. And through that storytelling, through that, you know, just those little tidbits can go such a long way and making certain subjects that people aren't in love with because you're not going to love everything. Some no. people <laughs> yeah. go to class because they know they should go to class. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been like, I'm a big fan of the national park system Mm -hmm. in this country and I've done the junior ranger program as an adult because I thought it was was right now to look into that myself. (laughs) They give out like little books and you have to like find things. And like, I would go to the campfire talks and like, But I was like, this is so much better than me just like standing here being like, because, you know, there, this is going to sound very weird, but going to the Grand Canyon, it's spectacular. It's amazing. You can't take it all in. And there's a point where you're like, okay, now what do I do? I'm not climbing down into the canyon because I have a serious fear of heights. I'm not getting on that donkey because I will envision myself or, you know, or whatever it is falling over to my death because that's just who I am. So these talks like really served like such a nice thing, like these interactive experiences and the more, yeah, I, I think that's amazing. That's kind of like, this is me just fanning out of, I love that you did that. And thank yeah. you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you probably like to connect, that to like be like how the hell did I end up here I would walk by a bar studio Mm. every day on my commute and I was just like huh I wonder what that is Mm. and 
that's it. Now here we are. And yeah. that's the big part of our lives, but we can still like geek out and nerd out about these funny so little. Totally. So <laughs> walking by this bar. Studio, yeah. Walking by this bar studio. Did you eventually go in? Yeah, it was actually the barcode. Look at that. Love at first sight. <laughs> so is that kind of when you first got back into kind of moving and fitness in general, like taking class? Yeah, at oh, totally. Yes. I, I couldn't even remember the last time I worked out before my first bar class. I took my first bar class in like February of 2013, I think. And, um, I remember walking by it and I would walk by it every day. And I was just like, I wonder what that is. I finally just Googled it. I was like, Oh, that looks cool. Okay. Maybe I I, I should really start doing, I'm an adult now. I need to start taking care of myself um, and stop eating, you know, all the macaroni and cheese in the box and Mm. (laughs) do something productive with my life. (laughs) Um, And so I emailed them and was just like, Hey, I live across the street. I walk by your studio all the time on my commute. Um, I don't know if you have like a work for trade program, but I really need to start working out. And I, and it lives so close. I could be there to like clean your bathrooms or work your front desk. Or like, if you have childcare, I'll watch kids because growing up, my mom would always go to jazzercise Mm -hmm. and I would go with her, but I was like a kid. She didn't want to pay for my membership. So I would always just like babysit the kids in the back childcare closet um, in exchange to get to take free classes with my mom. So I just thought like, that's how fitness worked. (laughs) Like if you want to take class, email the studio and tell them you'll work for free and they'll let you take class there. So I did. And sure enough, they let me in. They're like, yeah, you should probably come and try a class first to make sure you like it. I was like, okay, fine. So I took my class like the next day. I remember actually like emailing this. I think at the time I still had like a Blackberry, Mm -hmm. Uh, like emailing, sending this email from my Blackberry, like on my commute to the museum. And I remember leaving the museum and checking my phone and, and having an email back saying like, you're scheduled, come in and take your class. So I took my first class and I stood at the back bar and I think I did wear flared ankle leggings. Yes. <laughs> of course you did. It's 2013. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh my God, I could not walk for three days. Yeah. It was the hardest thing I had ever done in my life. But I remember thinking, I think at that point, like bar as like a, I don't know, like, um, like this boutique fitness brand was still emerging. Still very new. Yeah. yeah still about the time new. that, you know, I was involved with another company and it was kind of in it that time. Yeah. It was, it's still very new. I would say it's really just mainstream the last couple of years. Yeah, let's totally. be honest, you know, as its own standalone yeah. studio, not a part of something else, something else. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't think at that time I had any of these like preconceived stereotypes of what bar looked like or was like there was no room for me to think whether or not it was a good fit for me mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay bar I've heard of that you know I I have a mean like jazz square from my musical theater days yeah. like I can hang I can do this yeah and so after class the instructor you know she of course like asked me how it was and I remember her saying asking me she's like did you ever dance and I was just like oh god like 
that the same way that I've been really dismissive about it <laughs> in this interview, uh, mm-hmm. I was dismissive about it there too. I was just like, yeah, you know, as a kid, she's like, you have really good pointed toes and you have like, I can tell that you have body awareness. Cause I think looking back at it now, I know is like teaching new clients. You don't know what you're going to get until you start to see them move. Yes, absolutely. And have tempo. Just like, what am I, what am I working with here? Yeah. And as much as I joked before with, you probably learned how to skip really well, what <laughs> happens between ages zero and seven, that's your most fundamental developmental time for coordination and fine motor skills. So when you're teaching like that bilateral movement, they little, like at a certain age, you literally before four, three is like kind of early, but before then literally cannot do it. Like a two-year-old literally cannot jump off the floor. Like Mm -hmm. they, they bend their knees and you take that for granted because you do it for so long. But what you learned at probably at that age, at that very like prime, like when it happens, really when crossing, you know, crossing your midline, like patting your opposite opposite shoulder doesn't happen until a certain age, right? Your brain is not developed. So it's really like early childhood education and dance. I would, you know, this is my call out to the universe. Mm -hmm. I wish there was more of it because it's not just about learning moves, you, you're actually yeah. learning some serious life skills, yeah. whether you continue to do it or not. Um, so I, cause you can always tell, even if somebody's like, oh, well, you know, when I was a kid and you're like, yes, because you learned how to skip at, at the right time and <laughs> yeah. you learned how to cross your knees and do your, I mean, think of like that jazz square. If anybody listening is kind of wondering what it is, you have to cross your right foot to the left. Then you step back, then you cross back over and then you cross like that is, you know, you're crossing your midline, which is a hard thing to do it. Or even just jumping from one foot to the other, like we take that coordination for granted. But I think any kid that's gone through structured dance classes, it's just infused, right? It's like through osmosis, really. Like you're not thinking about it. You're not talking about bilateral movement. You're just doing it. Um, So thank you for circling back on that. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember just being like, I'm a nobody. I'm standing at the back room. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. And for the instructor to like take a moment after class one to check in with me, but then two to like, give me a compliment on my first class where everything was hard. Like I had to modify absolutely everything. I did not have the strength. Like, okay. I had the coordination. I could follow along. I have good listening skills. I have tempo, but I did not have the strength to do any of it. Absolutely. Oh, I took class with Ariana, who's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, I was like, mm, I'm going to rest. I'm going <laughs> <laughs> to. Uh, she, she no makes up some crazy stuff. <laughs> there, it is um, fire. It was pure fire. <laughs> she has like, that goes for her as, a, as an instructor, but also like, she's my boss, you know, my, yeah. the CEO of my company who I work with and talk with every day. And I think that's a perfect description of her. It's like, she's just like, I don't know, just do it. Like, yeah. like yeah. no, no, no understanding or care of how hard it might be. Yeah. Like just get the job done, just do it. Yeah. And I really love that about her. Like she makes me very productive and look at anything as just like, oh yeah, okay. That's what we're doing. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and with, yeah, without that judgment and without, without that intimidation of like, do you know, you have to do that. It's just like, yeah. 
okay. Oh, I, I can do it. Okay. Let me try. No, no, I can't. Yeah, okay. Now let me try again. Like, <laughs> That is a testament to the culture at Barcode. So could you speak a little bit more about that culture, especially you're a student turned teacher and now turned director of training. So um, before we kind of go down that path, could you speak a little bit more about that culture and like first got there and how it kind of developed for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll definitely, the Barcode is all about what you can gain from working out. And I think, you know, I kind of hit on this earlier is just like you walk into a fitness space and you're your first step in the door. You're thinking about like what you're there to lose. Like I'm here to lose inches. I'm here to lose muffin top. I hate that word. Uh, You're here to lose like, you know, body, like whatever it is that you're there to lose. We try to spin that into what you're there to gain because when your mindset is in the right place, whenever you can feel confident or feel happiness or feel pride in what your body can do, the aesthetic things, they follow. But like looking good is feeling good. And the fact of the matter is this like this idea that a bar body looks like long, lean, you know, toned, lifted, that just simply isn't true. Uh, like, sure, does a do, doing isometric and small range of motion, light weight, heavy repetition exercises build a certain type of strength that results in a certain type of tone that might be different than what Sure, but we all can only achieve our optimal muscle shape, right? Where all of our muscles are actually shaped different. And my upper inner thighs will always touch. Always. Always. Mine too. I will always have this butt. I always will. (laughs) I was, um, I guess, blessed with a bubble butt um, because now they're cool. You know, I I thank God for that. (laughs) You're like, it's like 15, 20 years, a little too late, but thank God bubble butts are finally in. I totally wanted to be like the Kate Moss wavy, like, I want no boot, nothing. I wanted to be flat as a pancake on all sides of my body. And, and I remember I had somebody, a client years ago say like, how can I get a butt like yours? I'm like, you, I don't know. And I was born this way. I I can give you a great class. That's going to make you stronger. But I can't guarantee this butt, this butt. I don't work for this butt. This butt was just this butt. And does it look better because I move my body? Sure. But it's always going to look like it's big and round. Like (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And and I'm very, like, I, again, that, like, what you can gain, that's such a great way to approach it because, yeah, maybe we are trying to lose some inches, but, you know, you gain energy, you gain your health, you gain confidence, you you can gain so much more and you can lose a lot less because the stakes are not that high in a bar class, right? Like how much can you really lose? Pounds, um, (laughs) dignity, if you fall on your face, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You laugh it off, everything's fine. Like you literally have nothing to lose whenever you walk into a class, like you have everything that you can gain. And so our mission, we, our whole company, whether it's the classes we teach or just like how we build and grow our franchise 
is all founded around our three mission points. And first is to have a best in class fitness program. So yes, we're the barcode. Of course we have bar classes, but we also offer boot camp classes and brawl classes, which brawl fighting kickboxing classes, mm-hmm. um, to let people know that like this truly can be your home in the, in the space of boutique fitness where, you know, everybody has their concept and you go to that concept and it's, you do it for so long. It's like, could you get bored of it eventually? Like for not sure. to throw any concept under the bus, but rowing concepts. I just don't understand. Them. Like I would just like, I row a lot. I take cross, I do CrossFit in the morning at my own gym outside of the barcode. And I row like every other day. And it's just like, Ugh, I could not go to a gym that was just rowing. I would, rowing. I would die. But like, so that's kind of the philosophy behind our program three core pillars that create our program best in class fitness program with the foundation of who we are was always founded around bar. Mm -hmm. Second is, uh, to foster an environment where women can support one another. So our two CEOs, Jillian Lorenz, Ariana Shernan, uh, both come from like corporate big wig kind of like male dominated fields but anytime that they had a female superior that what those they found that those were the hardest working relationships because the women in you know high level corporate jobs were not necessarily looking out for the other women they had fought their way to get there and they'll be damned if anybody's going to get in their way of of moving up the ladder so there was not a ton of like female empowerment in the space of 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 uh, corporate America where they came from with the passion of, of movement and fitness and wanting to start, you know, their own, their own concept here in Chicago. They truly wanted a space where women could come and feel championed by one another, because again, it's a space that's intimidating, like understanding that in order to provide professionally fitness experience like you are setting people up to immediately be intimidated the second that they come and walk across the threshold of your studio so by making that one of our mission points we try to just make sure everything from our graphics to our media to our social content to like the way we interact with you at the front desk starts to like break down those barriers of you as opposed to thinking like you don't belong here you have to earn your spot here it's like Welcome, we've been waiting for you. Right. Um, and then last is just to foster growth and self-acceptance. So again, thinking about like, how do you want to grow? How can you continue to like build self-love for yourself? And how can we support you through that that journey uh, yourself? So um, in all of our studios, we have a mantra, which of course is like a pretty popular thing now whenever you go into any mm-hmm. boutique studio, like, words on the wall that (laughs) that means something. Yeah. Um, and ours is we live by a code, the barcode. We believe in our bodies, our abilities, our strengths. And one of my favorite lines is, uh, we strive for beauty that makes a difference. We accept all the things about us that make us beautiful, but we strive for beauty that makes a difference in the sense that like your body will always look different than my body my body will always look different than every other person's body, (laughs) you know, unless it's my mom. Oh my God, twins. But, (laughs) um, you know, like uh, we are all built 
miraculously in our own wonderful, amazing way. And as opposed to picking ourselves apart piece by piece and trying to make little bar robots, isn't it really just about like, this is this body that you have is the one true home you're ever going to have for your entire life. So let's stop picking it apart and let's start building it up. It's such a, yes, thank you for that (laughs) one too. And it's such a good local way to think in order to like, you know, the, whatever the phrase, like act local, think global. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to a franchise, I think what can be intimidating for people is like, oh, it's so big, right? It already has this big Mm -hmm. president presence and that, you know, there's multiple places. Oh, it's corporate. You know, you kind of, I'm sure people have said, oh, it's so corporate. Um, <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? And I think being able to have that culture of really building the community inside that room first, then inside the studio, then inside that town or wherever you're located, and then across the franchise or across the country or globally or however far you want mm-hmm. to expand because it really does start with walking in the door. Who are you interacting with? Yes. You know, who is then leading you through that hour? Who is that? You know, it's such a, when I did my yoga training, that was something that, um, you know, I don't teach yoga anymore, but those principles of like, I'm here to guide. I'm a facilitator. I instruct, then I teach. I guide, I offer, you know, I, I think of these words when I'm teaching because it's not just my hour. Yes, it's my hour to work and be in that role, but it's also, I'm offering a space. I'm offering room for somebody to, and going beyond that of like, well, why are they really here? Because even in a big city like Chicago or like New York or like LA, it's still the same people coming to your class. You're not going to have hundreds of new people. Like, again, I live in New York city and very few studios operate like that. Um, I I did a podcast with her long Lauren Castile. I can't remember the episode number last year. I would say with the exception of her studio, because she lives literally next to um, Penn station in New York city. So the amount of traffic, (laughs) the amount of new people she sees is unparalleled because she literally has a train <laughs> right next to her that's a kid helping people in and out. So, you know, besides something very specific like that location, and again, we're in the same city, I'm in Brooklyn, but it's a very small neighborhood. Mm-hmm. See the same people. Yeah. You know, what are they coming for? They're not, I mean, what are they staying? What are they coming what for? They staying for? Why are they staying? Yeah, right? exactly. I, I know you and I had this conversation about, even instructor retention, right? And um, how, you know, I started young. I was 22 when I started teaching fitness and Pilates and all of that. And I was young, you know, and, but I'm at that age, I'm a risk. Am I going to stay? No, I'm probably going to take the next thing that's going to be better or whatever. I was dancing and I was hoping, you know, waiting on this thing or that thing. It's a, it's a risky person to invest a lot of time in. So what is it that's going to keep them? Right. Right. So um, when did, before we get into a little bit more of teacher stuff, when did you become a teacher and then the director of training? Great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I worked the front desk. I volunteered 
and just tried to take as many classes as I could because I, I felt, I fell in love with it. One, the workout was great. Like I was seeing myself getting stronger. I did see my body changing, but that very quickly like slipped to the wayside. That was almost like a byproduct. It was like what I was reaping so much was like mental, mental benefits. I was feeling confidence for one of the first times in a long time. I was uh, gaining courage. I, you know, wasn't feeling depressed. All of these emotions that I kind of like carried into the studio were slowly just like, I don't know, I was sweating them away. And (laughs) I took a ton of classes, like uh, hundreds of classes in two years. And the instructors, uh, I, you know, became quick friends with them and working the desk. Like it really felt like a sense of community. And I moved to Chicago. I didn't have any friends. I I knew people at work. I knew some like improv kids, but I didn't hang out with them much anymore because gave that up. So like it kind of became my new little friend group, my new little family. And the instructors finally like a year and a half into working the front desk they finally were like when are you going to start teaching class and I was like <laughs> I am not a fitness instructor like I same thing that I said at the start of this interview like I'm not an athlete I'm not a dancer <laughs> like here are all the reasons why you know imposter syndrome I should not I could not do what you do because you know at that time the people teaching were were teachers. They were teachers at our studio. They were teachers at other studios. Very few of them were just like, you know, I teach a few classes while I also work my, my corporate gig completely unrelated to a fitness. A lot of them were fitness professionals. Like some of them were teaching at Barry's and, you know, like other places that had names. And I was just like, I can't work the same place that you work. I am a lowly desk volunteer. I can't be seen on the same stage. And finally, I, you know, that going back to the whole fear thing, like being brave is not having fear. Being brave is having fear and choosing to do it anyways. Just like, whatever, it's an audition. I'm going to do it. Like I could use some side money. Um, And also just like this place has given me so much. I have gained so much since being here. I would love the opportunity to give back. And at the time I was the only, you know, size 10 gal, maybe on the instructing team or in the instructing trainer staff. I was definitely the only one with, with short hair and no ponytail. So (laughs) I just stood out and I was just like, I need to rock that. Like I need to be the representation, like still a white woman, but I need to be like some sort of represent representation for the women who show up to this class and to show them that like this, like bar is for everybody. Like there's room for everybody in the space. And so I got the courage to audition. Um, and I taught my first class in the summer of 2014. Mm. Yeah. And pretty quickly I started gaining like a, a following and I not, not, I was teaching the same classes as everybody else. Like whenever you get certified at the barcode, you're given content. Like we don't have to choreograph anything. We're given content. We learn new content every week, but it's the same routines that just kind of like rotate throughout all instructors, throughout all classes. So it's not like my classes were 
choreographed differently or I was doing some like interesting blend of bar that no client had ever experienced before. It's, I truly think it's because I made it a point to know every single person's name. Mm -hmm. Like I get hands-on in all my classes to like touch everybody, um, to learn something about them, like crack a joke when it made sense. Uh, and honestly, just to use a lot of the same engagement tactics that I learned, you know, in coaching people at the museum, but then also like teaching a fitness class is theater. Like you have a microphone, you have lights, you have music, uh, you have an audience and you're trying to like say and do things and make actions that provoke them to be inspired, to feel something outside of the scope of what they normally feel. And we're just like, Oh, I know how to do that. <laughs> I literally have a degree in that. I can do that. And it it's so fulfilling. It is such a theater. It is a theater and there's different types of theater, right? You have your proscenium where you like go into the audience and you come away. You have your traditional stage where you have the fourth wall. You're not getting in there. Mm -hmm. And then you have in the round, everybody's around you, you know? So I love even just using that kind of room setup idea of thinking mm -hmm. of it as a theater or as like a space, like how do you want to set up that space? And um, I, I took class with Esther Fairfax, who's Lottie, Lottie Burke's daughter. I need to go back. I need to not be pregnant and take that class because <laughs> no, not talking about another no joke, yeah. burning class. And so I was like, we started in a circle and she asked everybody how, you know, how was your trip to blah, 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 welcome, you know, and, and brought me in on that conversation. And, you know, I met her through um, the London Method Girls out in California. And I was like, wow, starting in a circle, like, I've done this teaching dance, teaching dance improv classes, like, what a way to connect, right? And like, thinking of yourself as a teacher, like, how are you are you making contact and how are you making that contact? Whether it's learning people's names, whether it's giving a hands-on adjustment or coming up to them at the end of class, like all those little things make such a difference and also show who you are. So people can be who they are in front of you. Yes. Um, oh, I love that you say that. I going back to this idea that like we are social creatures when I was at the museum I would always give also going back to like how to give people feedback without giving advice. Mm -hmm. um, when you're wanting your audience and in the case of like the museum, your crowd or your guests to like get excited about something or to feel something, you have to set the, set the bar as to like the limit of that. Because most times, like if the, if the feeling is excitement, like, I want you to stand up in front of your audience and get them excited. They're not going to come into that conversation more excited than you set the bar. Like, whatever level of excitement you start the conversation out at is what people are going to try and, and work up towards. And, like, you can use different tactics, different questions, different uh, ways to excite them. But you have to kind of, like, model that level of excitement. If you want your audience to be excited, you have to be the most excited about it. Mm -hmm. And I flipping it into like the space of teaching, 
I tell my trainees whenever they're, you know, learning how to teach a bar class for the first time is just like, I get it. It's scary to be up here on a microphone, but think about what you're asking your class to do. You're asking them to get like really vulnerable with themselves to like close their eyes, dig deep, push themselves physically and mentally into a space that like they don't live in out of like, you know, self-perseverance or uh, Mm self-preservation. And if you're asking them to be vulnerable, then you have to embody the most vulnerable position within the room. You have to take on, you have to let yourself be vulnerable. You have to take up space in ways that other, like that put you at risk. Like you have to take up more space in this room than you're comfortable doing. You have to get uncomfortable if you're going to ask your clients to get uncomfortable too. And when you're able to show that and model that behind your mic or, you know, whether you teach with a mic or not, not everybody teaches with a mic. I get it. Um, But whenever you're able to show that even subconsciously, your class starts to trust you. You're like, okay, if she's leaning into this, if she's showing she's excited, I can get excited about it. If she's showing that, you know, she understands that this is uncomfortable, I can start to show that I'm getting uncomfortable too. It's all just about like building building trust yeah Yeah. and showing like this is a space for you to trust me and to trust yourself and let's see where that takes us so that's so great yeah so great and that's a great message to convey to your trainees when you're training them and I think that's it's a hard thing to do so what do you find um is your biggest struggle as a teacher trainer and you know just for example for myself like I kind of struggled with in the beginning of like the ability to let others to like truly be on their own journey Mm -hmm. and not feel like really fully responsible for the outcome of their teaching. Right. You know, I couldn't expect everybody to be like me. Right. right? And, um, and that was hard. And that was a choice, you know, I made of not doing a franchise or not doing a licensing program of being able to truly let go and be like, here are the tools here is your journey. You can come back. You can go forth. You could wherever, you know, I'm here for you, but I need, like, I also need to like set you free on a level, which is hard. So for you, what do you find the biggest struggle is for you as a teacher trainer? That's a great question. I think the hardest part is where we are a franchise, which means I hate calling. I hate calling it this, but our classes are our product. They're franchise. I'm going to call it a fun franchise because you guys are a great franchise. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, thank you. I love that. Yes, uh, we are a franchise. I I don't like to think of us as like corporate or as like um, disconnected as as that word kind of like connotates. But um, as a franchise, you sell a product, and our product is our classes and they are designed and engineered to meet certain criteria. And as an instructor or as, you know, a provider of the services that we offer in order for you to do your job at your, at our franchise, you have to meet those specific criteria. And some of them are simple, like teaching to the beat of the music, Mm -hmm. like, that's okay. We get it. That's an expectation, but some of them get a little bit more 
into the point where they cross the line between what, to your point, like what is subjective and what is objective. Mm-hmm. So we don't have scripts when we teach. We teach people how to set up the exercise. We teach them how to get it moving to the music. We teach them to come out of the exercise and start engaging with their clients. And we give them like a toolbox of different ways to engage, whether it be through education or hands-on correction, like hands-on confirmations, corrections, whatever it may be, Uh, imagery, uh, all sorts of different tools that we can provide them. But like, we don't tell, we don't script it out to the point where it's like, you say this at this time. Right. Uh, And then we teach people objectively how to transition into the next move, the next variation and kind of do it all over again. Like that's the formula. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that third step, that like engagement step where I'm giving you a toolbox. Mm. I need you to feel really comfortable. And I need to feel comfortable as your trainer that you know all the tools that are available to you. And I, as your trainer, have to be able to like sign off and say, I have seen you successfully use each of these tools. But now it is your creative license as to how you use those tools when you get to that third step of the formula. And I think that's what will always make us different as a franchise is like, we will never, there will always be that third step. There will always be that like room for engagement and uh, self-expression through that. Like my class is different than everybody else's class and everybody else's class is different from one another's because we get that third step to, to let our voice shine. Mm-hmm. But I think the hardest thing articulating exactly what it is, is like that untouchable. It's that same, like yeah, that it factor. It's the it factor, right? It's hard to bring somebody out of their shell enough where I am confident that they are confident. Yeah. Yeah. I think I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that is the hardest thing for myself and like, yeah, being like, Oh, Okay. And that, and that was something I know myself. I'm not a manager of people. I'm not an owner of a business where I have to manage other people because I do struggle with that. That's something that I'm not good at. I'm not good at, I would never be able to fire someone. I would would never be able to like really get into that because that's just who I am. Like I, whatever, I love everybody. And I, I'd be like, it's okay. It's fine. Whatever. But that is a hard thing to teach. And it's a hard thing to put in a formula because, and you guys are doing it. And that's why it's hard because it is that it factor. And it's like, well, why are some people so good at whatever that untouchable thing is? And how do you get somebody else to grow into that? Right. And that is the teacher's journey, right? Mm-hmm. That we are all started a different place we all have different experiences or to pull upon or no experience of ever being in front of a group or outside in front of people. And that is so hard. And I, and it's so hard not to self judge. And it's yeah. also hard not like not to compare when you're in that position. Um, like, Oh, I'm just a student. Oh, I'm just a desk person. Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm not this, I'm not that. Um, Cause some people you'll see some people just like nail it because, well, they probably have been doing that thing since they were three years old in a class, you know, <laughs> performing or, yeah. but not that you can't grow into it. Right. And it's, you can. you can, yeah. And you totally can. And 
that, that is that one, that is that person's journey. If that is, you know, if they're the listeners, if that is you, that is something to figure out. And it, cause it is that it factor, that untouchable, like you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know, when it's there. Yeah. I will say like, we do try to train. Like, this is like, yeah, this is like the, it's hard. like the mathematical yeah. part of my theater person is like, what systems and processes and procedures can we put in place to train people to be authentic and dynamic? Right. <laughs> so yeah. like, our training program is filled with like a lot of things that you probably don't find in other like bar certificate. Like we play theater games, we play improvisational games. We yes. do things that don't feel at all fitness related in the method is to just like get you to get out of your skin a little bit and show yourself like the breadth of your, your range and your possibility to, to truly understand, like if you're going to be the most vulnerable person, the biggest person, the loudest person, the most engaging and exciting person in this room, we need to use this time during training to explore who that person is. Yeah. You can always give more. Um, You can always pull back, but it's really hard to give more. Right. And we played some of those fun theater improv games. I mean, they are really silly guys. So (laughs) (laughs) those things and not feel silly and go for it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a perfect part because it is that aspect that is missing and, and I would say 90% of trainings is that there, there isn't that time to push that envelope. Right. Right. Um, so where would you like to see this industry go? Oh man. I know. A deep I mean, for my own job security, I'd like to see it just keep <laughs> grow, 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 growing. Um, I, I truly believe in bar, you know, I, I believe in bar more than most other concepts really, because it truly is something that anybody of any age, of any background, of any experience could get into and could do for the rest of their lives. You know, as long as you're doing it safely, Um, you know, you can, that just like doesn't go out of style. I think like, one of the first things I had to combat whenever, you know, moving into a job in the fitness industry and like talking to my dad about it was like, well, isn't that a fad? Like, isn't that just a a trend? And it's like, it is something very popular right now, but I don't think moving your body or feeling good about yourself is ever something that's going to go out of style. So I truly think like as a concept and especially like in our business plan, we're growing, we're expanding into like new exciting markets this year. And that's just going to continue. Like we want to explode in the sense that like, yeah, the barcode, it is a franchise, but not necessarily everybody has heard of it. I'm sure there's viewers or listeners out there who are just like the what I'm sorry. Um, And we want to become one of those like household concept names for us personally. I think for me, I really want to see the industry as a whole transform into something that's a little less intimidating Mm -hmm. and a lot more focused on 
self, self-improvement, like, yeah. uh, in like a positive way. That's not, that's not tearing yourself down. I think like even looking at Instagram or, um, catalogs, like seeing more, um, bodies that are of all shapes and all sizes and all colors, like more representation of who the people are or make up this industry are. Yeah. You know, like we're not all tall. <laughs> we're not all thin. We do not all have visible abs. And I I really think that like the health and wellness space is in general is like close to broaching that. Like, you know, yeah. we're starting to make steps in that direction of just like yeah, and I think it will always be that other limb, right? Oh, there's always, there's like, always going to be. Always some be. people are after that. Some people want that, and that's okay. Totally. But it just can't be the only. Correct. And and I agree. And, and having been involved in the Pilates community for longer than the bar community, um, I would love, like, I like to say that there is hope for bar in being a method and modality that it does not have one definition. I mean, something that Pilates has been fighting over for many, many, many years. And I mean, yoga has how many different styles of yoga and it's all okay. So, I mean, that's my dream for our industry is to continue moving to a place where we're not on every corner. There's not a bar studio on every corner. There's not a bar class in every gym. There's not, that's still not a thing. And until that happens, um, I'm excited to see our industry grow beyond um, just choreography, right? We see these intimidating series and routines on social media and well, that it's intimate, you know, it's very yeah. impressive and it is what it is, but I'm excited to see it go beyond that. So it, it, it shakes that, uh, myth of, of being a fad and being something that you can do that. It's not just for 20 year olds. It's not just for tall, skinny people. It's for everybody. And, um, I mean, I'm going to tie that right into our herd at the bar, right? That yeah. bar is for a certain type. And that's such a, it's one that like can't be overstated enough that you hear, that you hear all the time. And, um, I think, you know, circling back to what we were talking about in the beginning of like the language, what you wear and how, who you are and owning it and all of that will bust those myths. So when you have people walking in that door, deer caught in the headlights or somebody say, Oh, isn't that just a fad? then you can say that stand there and be like, well, actually, (laughs) you know, (laughs) no. And then also when people ask you, well, what is it? There's a little bit more freedom in that definition where it's not just one thing. Yeah. Exactly. And being okay with that. Um, So I'm just going to make that your hurt at the bar because that was perfect. (laughs) My last question for you, what's in your BAR, your bar? What, what do you, uh, are you a tea, coffee, cocktail? What oh, I'm a cocktail. I really am. Are you a cocktail girl? Mm. I am. I like like all the like bitter, gross yes. words that like most people wouldn't like. <laughs> <laughs> describe, like describe your favorite. Describe. Um, <laughs> okay. My favorite like booze is Fernet. If you're familiar with no. okay, it's I want to say it's like the national liquor of Argentina. 
Okay. Um, it is Fernet Branca. You can find like they have it at bars. Go look for it. <laughs> really good in like a Coke, like just Fernet and Coke. But um, it has this like herbally mint flavor. Okay. <laughs> um, I like it in all sorts of things. I'll put it in my coffee on like a week weekend. Um, and it's really good in a cocktail called a hanky panky, which is like old fashioned gin cocktail, gin, vermouth, and granite. Love it. I do love a cocktail. I am still on the stage of my. I know. Sorry. <laughs> and like, uh, like I, um, I was in England over the holidays, and I am a Pim's cup gal. Give me a Pim's anything. Yes. Okay, you get it. Yeah. Transport myself to the garden party, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And I had Pims in a can, and I like begged my husband, like, please buy it and drink it for me, and tell me what it's like. Describe it like, fully. <laughs> what is your problem? I'm not a very big drinker, but what, like, if I'm gonna choose, like, I do like a fancy artisanal cocktail, mostly cucumber based. Um, so if I'm dreaming of my first drink after baby, that would. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, start planning. That would be it. Everyone's like, "What do you want?" Uh, as your first meal. Um, and I think this will be airing probably after. So I'll have to update everybody what my first meal was, but I was like, I miss oysters. I mean, that sounds so she-she and stupid, but in New York city, like in the summer oysters, yeah. are the way to go. Oh. and I'm like, but that's gross. Like you can't, you can't bring that in. You also cannot bring in alcohol unless somebody sneaks in some champagne. So I'm like, would it be weird to take a newborn baby across the street to the French restaurant? <laughs> Yeah. No, <laughs> all they do is sleep anyways at the start. So you'll be fine. True. I was like, can we order oysters to go and go home? Oh, I love that. And I'll have my little Pim's cup can. So that's my dream of what's in the bar in the future. <laughs> well, I will continue to put that in the universe for you that that happens. Thank you. Um, we'll fly by. Yeah. <laughs> this has been such a pleasure. And um, as I said, before we even started recording, I probably, you know, we probably could talk for like five days yeah. about all of this stuff. Uh, so thank you. And could you tell the listeners where to find and follow you? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. My name's Kay, K-A-Y-E. You can find me on Instagram at Slade, S-L-A-Y-E-D underscore by K K A Y E. Uh, also, feel free to follow the barcode at the bar, spelled B A R R E, and see if we have uh, one in your one in your in your neighborhood. And if not, uh, you can always head to our head to our website, uh, check out our our franchising page, uh, and put in some interest if you're interested in bringing a barcode to to a hood near you. Um, yeah. And I do get to travel to all of our locations across the country. So, uh, you can follow your local studio if you're around one and, uh, hopefully I'd love to be able to teach class to you in a barcode near you someday. Or if you're ever in Chicago, hit me up. Yes. Oh yes. Everyone, you gotta go if you're in Chicago. Um, that could be the last heard at the bar how to spell it and how to pronounce it. Barre. We're almost there. Yeah. We're, I think we're almost there. I think that will be like the legitimizing factor of where we are as an industry. (laughs) Everyone knowing how to say bar. Um, So again, thank you so much. It was so wonderful. And 
Ah, yes, everybody go out, follow, follow. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you'd like to write into the podcast, send an email to info at barvariations.com. You can follow us all over social media at Bar Variations. You can also visit the website at www.barvariations.com, where you will find show notes, archive episodes, and more. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.